The trial of Kyle Rittenhouse had been going extremely poorly for the prosecution. It had been going extremely well for the defense. All that was left to do for the jury was to acquit. And yet, before they could do that, the defense made a dramatic, potentially catastrophic decision. They called Kyle Rittenhouse himself to the stand. One wrong word could have upended the whole thing, could have sent this kid to jail for life. And yet, he knocked it out of the park. And he exposed the entire media narrative around him as a sham. And I hope he becomes a trillionaire suing every single dirtbag journalist and politician who slandered and libeled him. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Travis Landers, who says, Twilight Zone theme. Imagine, if you will, a drug so safe, you are bribed with fornication to take it. <laughs> yes, fornication and cheeseburgers and french fries, all to take the Fauci-ouchie because of how safe and effective and desirable it is. That makes sense, doesn't it? I'm not so sure. Things are getting a little wonky in this country, uh, politically, economically. Just look at gas prices. If you want to save money at the pump, you got to check out GetUpside. I'm so happy to bring you an incredible app right now. I don't think we've ever had a more timely advertiser, GetUpside. Our listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Download the app for free. Use promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. It gets added right to your bank account. You can cash out through your bank account, PayPal, even an e-gift card to Amazon and other brands. Download the free GetUpside app right now. Use promo code Knowles to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. That is code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. You can thank me later. I want to correct the record on something here because I'm seeing a line go around the internet and all the commentary around the Kyle Rittenhouse case. And the line is true enough, but it, it, I think it implies something that's not true. Everyone's pointing out that the prosecution is incompetent. The, the prosecuting attorney and the whole case that the state is making is just really weak. And the lawyer who's giving it is really weak. And that's true. He's not a very good prosecutor. But that's, if Kyle Rittenhouse gets off, that's not why he will get off. He will get off because all of the evidence in the case is on his side. And none of the evidence is on the side of the state. You could have the dream team. You could have Johnny Cochran and Alan Dershowitz and, I don't know, Ken Starr and all the, all the great top lawyers in the country working for the prosecution, working for the state here. They still would not be able to make a convincing case that Kyle Rittenhouse is guilty of what they're accusing him of. So at issue here is the fact that Kyle Rittenhouse shot three people, killed two of them, one of them he didn't kill. Was he the aggressor here? Was this reckless? Was he trying to commit murder? Or was he acting in self-defense? So the prosecutor just tries to nail him on this. Says, Are you, did you intend to kill these people? Everybody that you shot at that night, you intended to kill, correct? 
I didn't intend to kill them. I intended to. I intended to stop the people who were attacking me by killing them. I did what I had to do to stop the person who was attacking me by killing them. Two of them passed away, but I stopped the threat from attacking me by using deadly force. I used deadly force that you knew was going to kill. I didn't know if it was going to kill them, but I, I used the I used deadly force to stop the threat that was attacking me. You intentionally used deadly force against Joseph Rosenbaum, correct? Yes. You intentionally used deadly force against the man who came and tried to kick you in the face. Yes. Correct. You intentionally used deadly force against Anthony Huber, correct? Yes. You intentionally used deadly force against Gage Grosskreutz, correct? Yes. With regard to Joseph Rosenbaum, you fired four shots at him, correct? Yes. You intended to kill him, correct? I didn't intend to kill him. I intended to stop the person who was attacking me and trying to steal my gun. This answer is so sophisticated, and I can't tell if the prosecutor is just stupid or if he's playing dumb, but this is an actual important distinction. It's, it's the law of double effect, okay? The kid, Kyle Rittenhouse, did not set out to kill these people. If he had set out to kill these people, he would have been the aggressor, right? He would have just gone out with his gun and just found a bunch of people to kill. In every case, he only shot at people who were attacking him. And he didn't even kill everyone that he fired at who was attacking him. So you heard the prosecutor say, you, you were stopping the, for, uh, stopping the threat by killing them. But he, di- he actually didn't kill everyone. One of the people that he shot at testified during this trial and actually testified that Kyle Rittenhouse was acting in self-defense. So then the prosecution focuses on this guy, Joseph Rosenbaum, who's a kid diddler. He was a, a child rapist who Kyle Rittenhouse put out of his misery as this guy was attacking him. And they say, you intended to kill this man. And Kyle Rittenhouse says, no, I intended to stop the threat that was coming at me. If as a consequence of stopping the threat, the person died, well, that's a second effect. That's a secondary effect of my stopping the threat. But, but let's be very clear here. I wasn't here out for blood just trying to kill everybody. I, I waited until the last moment, until it was absolutely the threat was coming at me. And in every single case, video evidence, testimony has proven that to be the case. So then the prosecutor, because he's maybe a little thick in the head, or maybe he's just desperate and he's out of options here. He says, well, hold on. Why do you think that the people who were coming at you and attacking you were the threat? You had a gun. Weren't you the threat to them? Can you help me understand, Mr. Rittenhouse, why Gage Grosskreutz, with a pistol in his hand, is a threat to kill you, but you, with an AR-15 pointed at him, is not a threat to kill him at this moment? Can you help me understand that? I've been attacked by several people, and he decided to come and point a gun at my head. Well, first, like... He hasn't done that yet, has he? No. So again, I ask you, in this moment, you told us Gage Grosskreutz is a threat to you right now. Yes. He's got a pistol not aimed at you. You've got an AR-15 aimed at him. Why is he more of a threat to you than you are to him? Because he was, he was moving at me with a gun in his hand. 
It's a very simple answer. So the prosecution thinks he's got him on this image, right? The, the other guy, at, at least at one moment, doesn't have the gun aimed at Rittenhouse, but Rittenhouse has his gun aimed at the other guy. Why isn't Rittenhouse the threat here? Why is this? Because the other guy is advancing on him. Rittenhouse is in the defensive position. The other guy is in the aggressing position with a gun in his hand. Obviously justifies lethal force for self-defense. This, the prosecution, not impressive at all. He, he, he apparently doesn't even know anything about the guns and keeps asking Rittenhouse, where, where did you get this fascination with AR-15s from? You picked it out because it looked cool. I thought it looked cool. Guess it, that's the reason, yes. It resembled the types of weapons that are used in first-person shooter video games, correct? I don't really play first-person shooter video games. I have, but I believe there's a variety of guns, including shotguns, pistols. It there's guns in video games that resemble all guns. Isn't it true when you would hang out at, with Dominic Black, you'd play Call of Duty and other first-person shooter video games? Sometimes. And those are games in which you use weapons like AR-15s to pretty much shoot anybody who comes at you, correct? It's a video game where two players are playing together. I don't really understand the meaning of your question, to be honest. Isn't one of the things people do in these video games try and kill everyone else with your guns? Yeah, in the video game, it's just a video game. It's not real life. Isn't it true, Mr. Rittenhouse, that you and your friends used to play cowboys and Indians? Yeah, didn't you? Mr. Rittenhouse, I would like to introduce Exhibit A, a cap gun that Mr. Rittenhouse was given for his 10th birthday. And when you played cowboys and Indians, Mr. Rittenhouse, didn't you point the guns at each other and go bang, bang, bang? The prosecution rests its case, your honor. This boy played games as a child. Rest my and and uh, isn't it true, Mr. Rittenhouse, that a cap gun like an AR-15 is a is a type of gun? It looks like a gun. Yeah, that's it. That's the and that's the by the way, that's the best they had. That's the best case the prosecution made. As far as I'm concerned, all trial is that Kyle Rittenhouse played video games sometimes. This is why it was so impressive that they, they brought Rittenhouse to the stand. They didn't, they didn't need to. It was a big gamble. And I'm, I'm beginning to think the reason they did that is not to gain any advantage legally. I think legally speaking, they had everything to lose and nothing to gain. But I think this went further than that. I think this was about a kid who was trying to clear his name, who was trying to focus not just on the court of law here, but the court of public opinion, where the media had just been absolutely slandering him, libeling him, smearing him for months and months and months. And this kid was confident enough and had the, the evidence and the truth on his side that he went up there. When you want to protect yourself, I would recommend you check out LifeLock. These days, some surveillance apps known as stalkerware can collect information from you while avoiding detection by pretending to be something else. Stalkerware silently sits in the background collecting data, doing things like recording calls and keystrokes and stealing your photos and sending the info it gathers 
to whomever is spying on you. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Every day, we put our information at risk on the internet. In an instant, a cybercriminal could steal what's yours, sometimes even harm your finances, your credit, your reputation. Good thing, there's LifeLock. LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats, like your social security number for sale on the dark web. If they detect your information has potentially been compromised, they will send you an alert. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can help protect what's yours with LifeLock by Norton. Join now, save up to 25% off your first year by going to lifelock.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, lifelock.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, for 25% off. The judge in the, the Rittenhouse trial, at a certain point, had just had it with the prosecution and reamed the prosecution on multiple occasions. You are already, you were, I, I was a, astonished when you began your examination by commenting on the defendant's post-arrest silence. That's basic law. It's been basic law in this country for 40 years, 50 years. I have no idea why you would do something like that. And it gives, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So I don't know what you're up to. The problem is, this is a grave constitutional violation for you to talk about the defendant's silence and that is, and, and, the, and you're right. You're right on the. You're right on the borderline, and you may. You may be over, but uh, it better stop. So the prosecution, because he had nothing else, said, "Hey, how come uh, Kyle? How come he um, exercised his right to remain silent? You know his constitutional right. You know the Miranda rights that you are read when you're arrested. How, how, the fact that he exercised those, huh?" It probably, probably means he's guilty, right? This is, a, as the judge says, a grave constitutional violation. You would learn this, forget about law school, you would learn this in undergraduate pre-law classes. And yet this prosecutor seems to have forgotten it. The, the most dramatic moment of, of the whole testimony, which is, which is really getting the most play right now, is where Kyle Rittenhouse is recalling the events and he breaks down and he starts crying. Once I take that step back, I look over my shoulder and Mr. Rosenbaum, Mr. Rosenbaum was now running from my right side um, and I was cornered from in front of me with Mr. Zeminski and there were There were people right there. Take a deep breath, Kyle. That's what I... Okay, so this this is really hard to watch because the kid is still just 18, right? And the, this happened when, when the kid was 17. Here, here was the only time you really remember. This is a, a pretty young guy. I guess now you would, you'd say he was a kid eight months ago. Now you, now you'd say, I guess he's technically an adult, but just, just barely. The left is accusing him of crocodile tears, of faking it, of going up there to fake it, to try to gin up, uh, sympathy. And they're saying that actually, if you look, he's not even really crying. There aren't any tears coming down. 
So, you know, it's all, he's just, he's just a big faker. I think they're missing the point here. I don't think that Kyle Rittenhouse is crying because he did something wrong. That's, that's the whole point of the defense is he didn't do anything wrong. Every single shot that Kyle Rittenhouse took was a good shot, was a justified shot. They didn't even really go astray. They weren't excessive, right? He was waiting until the threat was there. So it, he, I don't think he's crying because he regrets anything he did. He didn't do anything wrong. According to all the evidence we've seen, he's crying because of the trauma of this. What he's crying because he's got post-traumatic stress, right? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? As an adult, let's say you were an adult with much more life experience, perhaps with much more firearms training. If you had to live through this, if you were being chased down by pedophile rapists and criminals and thug Antifa rioters, and you in this moment where your life is being threatened and you take these shots and you end up killing a couple of people and injuring another person, you're on trial and you're smeared as a terrorist and white supremacist. Don't you think reliving that moment, you might have a little bit of a reaction? He, he didn't have a, an emotional, uh, you know, regretful lamentation type of outburst. He had a panic attack up there. To, to me, the, the, the read on, first of all, I, I think his, his testimony was so articulate. It was so tight and the prosecution had nothing on him that I think he did an incredible job. But also the fact that he had a panic attack reliving this moment to me makes the testimony even more credible. I think, I think he did great. It was a crazy move to call him to the stand and he knocked it out of the park. So there's a chance he might be vindicated in court despite already being convicted in the court of public opinion. Just a little trip down memory lane. Rittenhouse is basically what you would have had in a school shooter. He's a 17-year-old kid. He shouldn't have had a gun. He crossed state lines to supposedly protect property. No, he was going out to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, the vigilante. Kyle Rittenhouse, the armed teenage vigilante. A 17-year-old vigilante, arguably a domestic terrorist, picked up a rifle, drove to a different state to shoot people. Kyle Rittenhouse, (laughs) a guy who's deeply racist, went with weapons to a Black Lives Matter protest, looking to get in trouble. He did. He murdered a couple of people. Rittenhouse, uh, the 17-year-old kid, just running around, shooting and killing protesters. You see the 17-year-old who was radicalized by Trumpism, took his AR-15 to Kenosha and became a killer. A white, Trump-supporting, MAGA-loving, uh, Blue Lives Matter social media uh, uh, partisan, 17 years old, picks up a gun, drives from one state to another with the intent to shoot people. Complete lies. Complete lies. The only thing they said there that's true is he drove from one state to another, but <laughs> they were right over the border. It's not, it'd be like me driving to Franklin. I, I'm in Nashville. It'd be like me driving to Franklin. It's, like, it's, not, it's not like driving hours and hours out of state driving to the place where he worked, place where his father lives. And he didn't go there to go kill people. He only shot in self-defense. Why did he go armed? I don't know, because he was going into a riot zone where his dad lived and where he worked. I'm glad he went armed. I'm glad he went armed. Otherwise, these guys very likely would have killed him. I hope Rittenhouse sues every one of these dirtbags. The Lincoln Project guy, I forget his name, the bald Lincoln Project guy. I don't know why pedophiles keep keep uh, playing into this narrative so much, both the uh, assailant in Kenosha 
And now we're talking about the Lincoln Project. I, I hope he sues him into the dirt. I hope he sues Joe Scarborough. I hope he sues all of these people, all of those MSNBC people. Hope he sues them into the ground. I hope he becomes a gazillionaire. I hope he pulls a Nick Sandman. You remember the kid, the smiling kid who was being accosted by that lunatic Indian man at the Lincoln Memorial and by the black supremacists who were screaming all sorts. And he just stood there smiling in a MAGA hat and, and the media smeared him too. And then he got settlements from CNN. And I hope, I hope, I hope this kid gets the exact same thing. In other narrative news, George Floyd is getting a hagiography. There's a new book coming out. It's a biography of George Floyd. (laughs) Talk about people who don't need biographies. Uh, He's getting a a biography published May 17th, 2022. This is going to be coming out from uh, one of the imprints of Penguin Random House, a very prestigious publishing house. Here's the press release, quote, the biography of George Floyd shows the athletic young boy raised in the projects of Houston's third ward who would become a father, a partner, a friend, and a man constantly in search of a better life. Oh yeah, is that is that so? In in retracing Floyd's story, Samuels and Olo Ranipa, these are two Washington Post reporters, bring to light the determination Floyd carried as he faced the relentless struggle to survive as a black man in America. Now I'm going to translate that from the delusional fantasy of Penguin Random House into reality. Uh, George Floyd was a career criminal who robbed a pregnant woman at gunpoint and never turned his life around ever. And in his final moments was only killed because he was resisting arrest and committing a crime at his very last moments and was super duper high on drugs, had taken a lethal dose of drugs, never, ever once improved his life and was for his entire career, a menace to society. And did not have a constant struggle to survive as a black man in America, made very, very bad choices. I think that book, I think that book would be a lot more honest if you wrote that about, but I I don't think that one would get published. I think instead you have this fantasy, this near, what this is about, obviously this has nothing to do with George Floyd, the book that they're publishing. It has to do with the narrative. White people bad, black people good. Really easy for white people to live, very hard for black people to live. George Floyd, saint, martyr, a, a hero, a demigod. Um, even if that story is false, it gets to a greater truth. Here's the narrative. Kyle, Kyle Rittenhouse, evil white supremacist terrorist. All the pedophile, rapist, career criminal rioters who were chasing him are good, wonderful, saintly, anti-racist protesters. And even if this, the reality isn't, isn't that, even, even if that narrative is a lie, it gets to a greater truth. What it gets to is a fantasy, but it's a fantasy with a lot of institutional backing. You, you got to take, you got you to fight really hard to get those wins. You got to take the wins where you can get them. One win you can get is uh, refinancing your home. I recommend you check out American Financing. There is still time to make a positive impact on your budget before year end as mortgage rates remain near money-saving lows. Now, you might be thinking, why? My mortgage, it's fine as it is. Well, what you should be asking is, how can my mortgage work for me? And that answer can be found at American Financing, America's home for home loans. They don't pressure you. Instead, their salary-based mortgage consultants get to know you so they can lead you to greater overall savings. 
It could be a shorter loan term or consolidating debt because there is more to a refinance than just a lower rate. And it's the reason why they save customers up to $1,000 per month. So why not see what they can do for you? Right now, call 800-685-5696. That is 800-685-5696. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net. NMLS 182334. As I think we've mentioned on this show before, we got to fight for our basic rights here. The Biden administration is pushing a vaccine mandate. The Daily Wire is not backing down. We filed a lawsuit against this unconstitutional mandate a week ago today. We're already seeing results. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has issued a temporary stay uh, preventing the Biden mandate from going into effect, citing, quote, grave statutory and constitutional issues. This does not mean the battle is over. Rather, it means that the battle has just begun. This is urgent. This is a very, very time-sensitive matter. Your medical freedom depends on it. If you want to support the fight to make your personal medical decisions without interference from your government or from your employers, for that matter, sign our petition against Biden's mandate. Hundreds of thousands of Americans have already signed the petition in just a few days, but we need many more people to stand with us to reach our goal. Head on over to dailywire.com slash do not comply to sign the petition today. We'll be right back with a lot more. Rioters good, people who defend themselves bad. Criminals such as George Floyd, good. Cops, bad. That's the new national narrative. That's the new national myth. So how does this play out in real life? Uh, About a week ago, less than a week ago, the 50th person uh, this year was arrested in Chicago for murder while out on felony bond. The 50th person this year in Chicago was arrested for murder while he should have been in jail. Okay. The CWB Chicago reported that uh, this new fellow, Edmund Harris, was arrested on February 12th, so quite a while ago, uh, though the, the report has just come out. Quote, after he allegedly crashed a hijacked SUV in Lawndale, Harris was not charged for any crime related to carjacking or crash and was instead charged, quote, with failure to register as a sex offender in an unrelated matter. Okay, so that was back in February. Now, failing to register as a sex offender, a lot of sex offenders in the news these days, uh, is a felony, but didn't matter. Harris was released a few days after his arrest because he posted a thousand buck deposit for felony bond. Five weeks after he posted that $1,000 bail bond, he killed a 31-year-old Uber driver in another carjacking. This according to federal prosecutors. There's the compassion for you. There's the mercy. We're told that when we arrest people, when we arrest criminals, especially when we arrest black criminals, that's the worst. You're not allowed to do that. Uh, That is terrible and it's white supremacist and it's cruel and unusual, and we, need, we shouldn't do that. We need to abolish prisons. We need to get rid of the police. We need to stop arresting criminals. That will be really compassionate. Was it compassionate to the 31-year-old Uber driver? 31, that's how old I am. Life is over. Did that Uber driver have a wife or a husband, I guess? Did that, 
Did that Uber driver have kids? I don't know. Maybe. I do. I have a wife and kids. What, what would the compassion be there if, uh, for, for my wife and my son, if some thug criminal who should be behind bars paying his debt to society had just been released because, you know, hey, that's, it's because of what, the color of his skin, because we want to go easy on criminals for whatever reason. And then he goes out and killed me or killed you or killed someone. 31 years old. There's the compassion. The libs want to do this. They want, they want, they want to set up specifically a racial caste system here where black people, people of color is the broad term, get preferential treatment. Uh, and, and they're trying to conflate issues of race and the criminal justice system because there are a lot of people of color in prison, because people of color are overrepresented, to use the popular term, in crime statistics. And so they say, well, that's why, as a racial matter, we've got to abolish prisons or whatever. They, they want to do this, and the Republicans are buying into it. This is what's so upsetting to me. I mean, it's, it's really awful news in Chicago. They got to they turn this around. I think that the more just, compassionate thing to do would be to lock up the criminals and keep them from harming other people. But you notice that Republicans have adopted this thing too. Donald Trump did it. It was one of his signature achievements. The First Step Act, also known as the jailbreak bill. I love Trump. I, I voted for him the first time. He did some stuff that I didn't like. I still voted for him the second time because he did a lot of things that I think were really good and, and really courageous and took a lot of guts. But this is something Republicans just have lost their minds over. C- Republicans should not be running on letting c- more criminals out of prison. They should not be running on the lie that we have an over-incarceration problem in the United States. Looking around at our cities burning and murder rates skyrocketing and carjacking, I think we have an under-incarceration problem in the United States. And uh, my evidence for that is crime is going through the roof, so lock them up. Good grief. These Republicans, are they're a little too clever by half. They think, oh, you know, look, if I push for criminal, criminal justice reform, meaning let the, letting the criminals out of jail, then... That will, I'll seem, I won't seem racist. The left won't call me racist anymore. A hint, they will. And uh, we're going to win over all sorts of new voters. A hint, you won't. And that'll be really good for everybody. It won't be good. It won't, it actually won't be good for anybody, including the criminals who, who should be getting rehabilitated in the can. Speaking of misplaced compassion, Steve Ducey, or rather Peter Ducey. (laughs) Steve Ducey is on the morning show. Peter Ducey, the White House reporter, is... Uh, presently just destroying the White House Deputy Press Secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre. Uh, Ducey asked Corrine Jean-Pierre about this Biden administration policy to give massive six-figure, mid-six-figure payments to illegal aliens. Is there any kind of discussion about giving people who are coming here the right way money? Why would... I- why would we be giving people who are coming here the white ray money? Why are you giving people who came here the wrong I, way? I mean, but I, I don't understand the, the, the question. What is the, you're, you're saying that we should give, immigrants. we should, we should give people just money who are coming through. I don't understand the question. You're giving people who immigrated here illegally money. Like you I will. said, like I said, that's the Department of Justice. That's, you're going to have to ask them that question. Oh, he got her. <laughs> he so got her and he did it in a really clever way. The White House has been stonewalling. 
on this issue of them giving six-figure payments, you know, $450,000 payments to illegal aliens, right? And this is for the illegal aliens who were separated, whatever that means, uh, during the Trump administration, even though it's a policy that goes all the way back to Bill Clinton. And they've been, st- and anytime they get asked about it, they say, no, uh, we refer you to DOJ. No, do- we're not going to answer that. No comment. Moving on, moving on. And so what Peter, <laughs> Peter Ducey does here is he, he inverts the question. He goes, hey, I just wanted to know, do you, um, are you, is the White House planning on, on giving payments to illegal aliens or to, to immigrants who came to America the right way through the legal channels? And <laughs> the White House Deputy Press Secretary looks at him and goes, what? what are you talking about? Why would we do that? That's insane. That's so crazy. Why would we just give them money for coming here? They're immigrants. They should be thanking us. They should be giving us money. Why would we be giving them money? Oh, uh, well, because you're, you are giving money to people who are coming here illegally. So why, why aren't you giving money to people who are coming here illegally? And then she realizes that she's not, she's not the best press secretary out there. Okay. Jen Psaki is much better at her job than this woman. And Jen Psaki is not even that good at her job. And she goes, oh, uh oh, whoops. Oh, never mind. DOJ, DOJ. Well, hold on. You were answering the question before, before you realized that it was a question about a policy that you can't defend. Ducey tries again. Now that the president is on the record uh, as of Saturday supporting compensation for illegal immigrants who are separated from family at the border, who counts as separated? If somebody was just separated for a few hours or a few days, would they be eligible? to settle a suit and get this payment from DOJ. So Peter, I will direct you to the Department of Justice for any specifics on that. We have, we have, you've asked us this question, we have answered it, and I will refer you to the Department of Justice on any specifics. If you've answered it, then just answer it again. If it's such a simple answer, give us the answer again. Oh, you can't because you haven't answered it because there is no answer. And, And Ducey brings up a good point here too. What if you were separated for an hour? You know, you get, you come into the country illegally, you are being, you're caught, you're being processed. And for an hour, you're, you're separated from your kid and the kid is at HHS and you're being processed by law enforcement. The kid's not going to be processed by law enforcement. What about that? And then you're back together. Are you entitled to almost half a million dollars? Just a question to my listeners out there. I'm sure some of you are pretty well healed, but uh, most, I would say most people don't have just half a million dollars lying around. Could, could you use that money? Do you, think, do you think it would be nice if the government gave you half a million dollars? Maybe, maybe you need to go move down to Guatemala and then you know, walk up, hitch a ride, and then swim across the Rio Grande. So that's an easier way to make half a million dollars than, than most people. Most people are not going to have half a million bucks in their bank account at any point in their lives. Indefensible. And this, this White House Deputy Press Secretary, she didn't, she didn't get any better at it the more the questions moved on. She was asked a, a, a simple question. What are, what are you guys doing about the rising gas prices? In California, in some places, gas is up to around $7 a gallon in the, in the United States. That is insane. I mean, that is some unprecedented gas prices. And they said, what are you guys doing about that? I think that's going to be the subject of my next blank book. What options besides tapping the strategic petroleum reserve does the president have to counteract higher gas prices? So, um, you know, we've t- I've talked about this a couple of times. You know, we we have we don't have an announcement yet on anything uh, on anything to share at this time. 
you know, but we're, we're monitoring it, right? We're monitoring the, the prices and we're making sure that we have tools in our tool belt that we can, uh, we can, uh, we can try and, and, and use, but at this, at this time, I don't have anything new uh, to, to share. What else are you reviewing? Because Secretary Granholm has confirmed that is an option that's on the table and the president has said there are other tools that he could potentially use. So could you just lay out what those other options are that he's considering? So I don't, again, I don't, I don't have anything specific here. The president spoke to this recently, uh, but he's also asked FTC to crack down on illegal pricing, right? That is one thing that he did on gouging in the market, and the FTC is responding. But also we're going to continue to monitor the situation and have a number of tools in our arsenal, as I just mentioned. I don't have anything specific. How do you not have an answer to that question? I'm not saying how do you not have an answer to the gas prices. Obviously, the Biden administration is not nearly competent enough to have that answer. But how do you as the press secretary not show up prepared for that question? Right, the, the story here to me is not just that this woman's bad at her job, because Jen Psaki's not that good at it either. Remember, she keeps circling back all the time. The, it's not even about the gas prices or the illegal alien payments. It, it's a story about the media, as it very often is. Kaylee McEnany, our wonderful former press secretary, made all of our hearts go pitter-patter. She was just, she was so great at that job. She would show up with a binder that was like six inches thick with all these little annotations and any question, any question you had for her, she'd open up the binder and have an answer. Kaylee, what should I have for breakfast on Tuesday? Well, thank you. Great question. You should have an egg with some sausage and bacon and uh, a muffin. And how, what? I don't know. Because it's in my binder because she had such details here. This is a basic question. Hey, what are you guys doing about gas? Um, we don't, uh, we don't, um, so we have tool. We totally have tools in our arsenal. We totally have an answer to that, but we're, uh, just not going to tell you, but we have it. You know, I, to, I totally have a boyfriend, but he lives in Canada. Um, but it's, he's totally real, uh, but we, I can't tell you anything about him and there's no evidence that, that it's real. And the media don't care. They think that they're walking in, Jen Psaki, especially in the early days of her tenure, would just walk into the press briefing room without any preparation because she just assumed she wasn't going to get tough questions. And the Republicans are always going to get extremely tough, usually unfair questions. And so they're just simply better prepared. And speaking of transportation, news now that the vaccine mandate from the Biden administration could take out 37% of truckers during the holiday shopping season. This coming from the American Trucking Association, Truckload Carriers Association, International Food Service Distributors Association, other business groups are warning the Biden administration that the vaccine mandate uh, could lead to a 37% reduction in truckers. The industry is already short by about 30%. So when, when we say that the, the supply chain crisis is not Joe Biden's fault, sure, there's some truth to that. Yeah, some of it is coming after months and months of locking down the world and not manufacturing things in time. And sure, it's not all Buttigieg's fault, for instance, but some of it is. Some of it is. And in the future, a lot more of it is going to be directly attributable to Joe Biden. That's smart, right? In the middle of a supply chain crisis, as you've got the biggest shopping season of the year coming up, make sure that we put almost 40% of truckers out of business. Not just the truckers. Right now, 28, at least 28 firehouses in New York City are out of service because of the vaccine mandate. 28 FDNY firehouses. I'm sure this will be a great relief when your house is on fire in Queens 
you know, and you call up the fire department and you say, help, help, my house is on fire. Oh my gosh, I can't get my, my children out and my, oh, I'm, I'm burning up in here. And they'll say, well, ma'am, we don't have any fire trucks to send you and no firemen to come rescue you. Uh, but don't worry, you won't catch COVID. Don't worry. Yeah, we don't, because we don't want to give you COVID. Okay, good luck. Ah, that's what's, that's what's going to happen in New York. And there is going to be pushback to this, even in blue New York, even in blue California, even in these places that are full of dyed-in-the-wool liberals. When the basic elements of society break down, when you can't afford gas for your car, when you can't call the fire department, when you can't, when everyone in this country can't get Christmas presents, can't get their food for Thanksgiving or whatever, that there is going to be a pushback. Because it doesn't matter how deeply ideological you are, when your society can't perform even its most basic functions, you can't deny that the people running the society are getting it wrong. Speaking of New York, story in the New York Post that I had to bring up on the show today. Classic New York Post type headline, supposed to be a pretty wacky story here. My husband is gay but we're married with two kids and have great sex. The woman, very beautiful woman. The guy, good looking guy. The good looking guy apparently is not particularly attracted to the good looking woman, but they're married anyway and they have kids and they do the thing that married couples do. Wow, how kooky and crazy, isn't it? This is an amazing story. It's amazing that this story is considered so unusual. The, they're uh, Mormons, or at least the, the man is Mormon. Uh, the Mormon church says, no, you can't do gay marriage or gay relationships. And if you have same-sex attraction, you just basically have to repress it and be celibate or chaste, or, but you can't, you can't engage in that. And this guy has decided to prioritize his religion and his culture and his upbringing over his sexual desires. He's not deceiving anybody. He's told this woman on their first date that, hey, I'm a gay guy. I'm really basically just attracted to, to men. And she said, oh, okay. And rather than just running away from him, she said, actually, it's kind of, it doesn't really bother me that physical attraction is not the most important thing in our relationship. Actually, she says she realized that he was her guy, that they were really, and, and he said that about her and they were really meant to be together. And they broke up for a little bit when he was trying to work through his sexual desires. And then they got back together because they missed each other. So it just wasn't a huge deal. He has with me his choice. What else mattered? Now they're happy and they got these kids and okay. First of all, this is what gay guys did for like all of human history. <laughs> okay, not all, not all. Okay, some people would be celibate or, you know, they'd be confirmed bachelors or, you know, they'd live with a very good friend of theirs for a long time. But this was pretty common. If you had same-sex attractions, you would just repress it as if you had any other desire that you didn't want to live out or engage in for, for whatever reason, religion, culture, tradition, now we're told that that's evil, that that's wrong. If you have any desire you have, especially any sexual desire, you have to fulfill it. But my question for the sexual revolutionaries who say that you absolutely have to, you know, it's your choice. You have any choice. You can choose to be with 
a man, you can choose to be with a woman, you can choose to be with two men and a goat, you can choose whatever you want, and that's wonderful, and we need to celebrate all of that. Well, why don't we celebrate his choice? Why, why is his choice not valid? He, he is cho- he's being completely honest about everything, and he's just saying, look, I would rather have the life that comes with being married to a woman with kids in my church community, in my culture. I would, I would rather make that choice, even if my kind of instinctual desire is, look, this is a, this is a crazy world. It's a very diverse world. There's no end to the uh, diversity and eccentricity of human beings. But he says, uh, in my rational will, in my conscious will, I'm just going to choose to repress that, that sort of desire, and I'm going to marry this woman. And by, by the way, he He's being so clear here because he's not saying that he's going to pray away the gay, as some people kind of derisively call it. He's not saying he's ever going to completely eradicate this desire from himself. But it is simply a case of desire, the case with desire rather, that habit helps to form our desires. So it's not like our desires are just permanently fixed, right? When we're little kids, we like milk chocolate. We just love milk chocolate. We can't imagine, C.S. Lewis makes this point. You can't imagine that there's anything better than milk chocolate. But as you grow, you still like chocolate, but you, your desires can change. Your tastes can develop. You can develop a taste for coffee. You can develop a taste for scotch. You can develop, when I was little, my favorite, I would love to play cowboys and Indians to get back to a point we were making earlier. Now I love to sit outside with a book and a cigar. When I was a little kid, I didn't want to sit outside with a book or a cigar. Not until I was 15 and I was a grown-up boy. Now I don't like playing cowboys and Indians. Our desires actually change as well. And we can cultivate desires uh, the more we practice certain habits. Not that you're ever going to completely get rid of some desire, perhaps. But why do you not have that choice? It it does show the intolerance, the bigotry, the the shallowness of the left and the, the modern revolutionary view of, of sex and identity and desire, that, this, that the only thing that you're not allowed to do is choose the more traditional path. That's the only thing you're not allowed to do anymore. Now, speaking of sex stuff, before we go, I have to get to this. The Marines have a job opening. Okay, now, yeah, that's a tough job, working for the Marines, you know, when you enlist even if you become an officer, it's a tough job, involves a lot of sacrifice, but you're serving your country. Well, no, there's actually a pretty cushy job in the Marines right now. A diversity, equity, and inclusion advisor. The diversity, equity, inclusion advisor for the United States Marine Corps, stationed at Quantico, Virginia, starts at $144,128 a year. Nice work if you can get it. People are really shocked and horrified that the the Marines have a diversity, equity, and inclusion advisor. But look, the Marines always had a chaplain. And back when our country believed in God and was a Christian country, we had a Christian chaplain. Now that our country is effectively an atheist country and a secular country, the chaplain is just the director of diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's our national religion. That makes up our moral understanding and a metaphysical understanding of the world. Also reminds us of incentives. Okay. And the left is really good at creating incentives. We talk about what, how great we are on the economy here on the right. No, the left understands economic incentives a lot better. 
if you reward something with money and prestige and privilege, you are going to get more of that thing. And right now, what our society rewards with all sorts of compliments and plaudits and cold hard cash is the ideology of diversity, equity, and inclusion, is the ideology of the left. And they use the government to push it. And they use corporate America, but they use the whole political system. Maybe the right ought to do that too. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, Kyle Rittenhouse's trial goes completely sideways for the prosecution. LeBron James attacks Kyle Rittenhouse and Biden inflation is here and it's massive. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Listen. 